2022's one of the most consequential midterm elections in decades. And as Democrats and Republicans fight for control, there's one group with millions of eligible voters that both parties desperately want. Generation Z. This is my first time voting in a midterm election. Oh, and never voted before. Had the option, but never really had anyone that spoke to me. I wish to vote for leaders that represent me and my ideas. Political experts point out that this young generation is on track to be better educated, more ethnically diverse, and more liberal than other generations. So that seems to bode well for the Democratic Party and spells doom for the Republicans. But as much as both parties want them, they also have a bigger question about Gen Z folks. Will they actually come out and vote? I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Monday, November 7th, 2022. Today, as part of our coverage of the midterm elections, which by the way, happens tomorrow, we look at a very simple question. What exactly does Generation Z want? My colleague Arit John covers national politics. Arit, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. So my first election was, oh, what was it? 1980, no, <laughs> you see, I can't remember, 1998. Don't even ask me who I voted for or why, but I just remember I registered to decline to stay, mostly voted Democrats. Most of my friends voted, but none of us were particularly enthusiastic. And I can definitely say though, that both parties didn't care about us at all. Like they weren't reaching out for our vote. But what about now? What about with Gen Z? Who are they and why are they so important politically? So Gen Z is anyone born between 1997 and 2012, and they're basically the new it generation in politics. This is the first year that members of Gen Z are old enough to run for Congress, and we're likely to see at least one new Gen Z member of Congress next year. And as a voting bloc, we're seeing that Gen Z is more diverse than any generation before it. Just under half of Gen Z is made up of people of color compared to about four out of 10 millennials. They're more educated and their parents are more educated. And that plays a big role in the issues that they care about, especially when it comes to like student loan debt. Mm. And Gen Z matters because, I mean, basically every new generation brings with it fresh voters and new opportunities or challenges for each party. Yeah. This year, there'll be more than 8 million new Gen Z voters who've turned 18 since the last election who could be voting for Democrats, they could be voting for Republicans, or they could just sit out the election entirely. And that's a scenario I don't think either of the parties want. So you spoke to a couple of Gen Zers who are running for Congress, and they're the first of their generation to do so. Maxwell Frost, a Democrat from Florida, and Caroline Levitt, she's a Republican from New Hampshire. Let's start with Maxwell. Who is he and what's his story? So Maxwell Frost, he just won a really competitive primary in Florida in the Orlando area against nine candidates, including two former members of Congress. You feel like this time is different. Let me hear you make some noise. I said, if you feel like this time is different, let me hear you make some noise. He started his political activism at the age of 15 after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. He's gone on to work for March for Our Lives, which is a gun control advocacy group. Friends, I've been in this fight for a decade. My name is Maxwell Alejandro Frost. I'm a survivor of gun violence and organizer, and now I'm running for Congress here in Orlando. Thank you, thank you. The leading cause of death for children is guns, 
not automobiles anymore. So our children are literally on the front lines of this issue and we lose 100 people a day. So I look forward to being a strong advocate and champion to ensuring we live in a country where we don't have to fear going to church, going to school uh, because of gun violence. We deserve the freedom to live. He ran on a very progressive message, Medicare for all, ending gun violence, Green New Deal, and he went out in a really crowded field with much more experienced candidates. And that was a big surprise. Look, we have to think about the context of this win. We are in Florida, where this entire year, our state has been the victim of Governor DeSantis. He is a dictator, someone who has been scapegoating the most vulnerable communities for every issue under the sun because he wants to run for president. And during the campaign, he's been working as an Uber driver to try to make ends meet. And he's been trying to finish up his college degree, which he expects to complete while he's in office, assuming he wins. Yes, there's a young face that is doing that work, but that's okay. We need a diversity of, yes, race, yes, opinion, but also age. And he really represents a lot of the trends that we're seeing in Gen Z. He is an Afro-Latino candidate. He has been impacted by gun violence, as many people in his generation have been. I think this win shows the country, don't count us out. Don't count out young people. And since it's a very blue district, he's expected to sort of sail to the Congress, but he still has to beat his opponent, Calvin Wimbish, who is 51, and he is retired from the Army. And then Caroline Levitt, what's she about? Caroline Levitt, she's running in New Hampshire's first district against Chris Pappas in a toss-up race. It's going to be very competitive. You have Papas, who's sort of been running as more of a moderate Democrat, focused on, you know, this is what Democrats have done in office, but also I'm distancing myself from Biden when I need to. And then Caroline Lovett, she's 25. She was a former communications director for Elise Stefanik, the House Republican Conference Chair. And she also is a veteran of the Trump campaign. My radical in disguise representative, Chris Pappas, has been voting in lockstep with Nancy Pelosi. And in just six months, we've seen the disastrous effects of that agenda and spending, uncontrolled spending, that my generation is going to be having to pay for and foot that bill. That's why I'm standing up to fight And if she won, she would be the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. I've been crisscrossing the state since I've been home. And the energy for conservative change in New Hampshire is absolutely real. Policy-wise, she's very much a MAGA, America first candidate. She said in the past that she thinks that Trump won in 2020, but she also acknowledges that Biden is the president now. And that's part of why she's running. She's all about low taxes, less regulation. She also has like taken up some of these Republican talking points, like Democrats are trying to quote, quote, indoctrinate children in schools. Mm. Um, She's accused Biden and Nancy Pelosi of ruining the economy. I can see why the few Gen Zers running for Congress are getting so much national attention. It's DC after all, you know, it's prominent, but What about on the more local level? Are you seeing Gen Zers also run for local offices? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of Gen Z candidates in the state legislature races. I talked to two, Madeline Ryan Smith, who's a Democrat running to flip a rural Georgia district. I decided to run about a year ago, and that was kind of not really in my plan. I was actually still a college student when I decided to run for office, but I knew that our district needed some change. We need it desperately. We need it now. And we need it in a lot of different areas. And I do not believe that our current representation is up to the task. And I know that I am. So here we are. And I talked to Elliot Engen, who's a Republican, or he would say a conservative, running in a district outside of Minneapolis. 
I am 24. I turned 24 last week on Thursday. So I'm definitely on the younger side of things, but um, yeah, it's been good to kind of go to doors and see how people react to that. You know, talking to these candidates, I think it's clear that their age is sort of a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, there are people who are really excited at the idea of younger candidates getting into office. For Republicans, that's a chance to reach out to younger voters who tend to vote for Democrats. And for Democrats, younger candidates tend to be more progressive and they bring a new energy with them. The problem they face is that they don't have the same level of experience as the candidates that they're running against. You know, you don't hear about young people running for office. It's just not something that we do. And I truly believe it's because we don't feel like we have a seat at the table. And I knew that my largest skeleton in my closet was the fact that I was young and I didn't really have any real experience. But if that's the worst thing people say about me, then, you know, that's all right. (laughs) Madeline Ryan Smith is running against an incumbent who's decades older than her, and she's running as a woman. And, you know, as a woman, I think there's this sense across all fields that you want to be taken seriously and you're concerned that you won't be because of the way you look or because of your age. There's a sense that you need to present yourself a certain way. I did not want my appearance as a young woman to be something that was sexualized or something that was the first thing that people looked at was just this young person who's pretty and doesn't really know anything, you know? And Ryan Smith definitely talked to me about that and the ways that she tries to present herself as sort of, these are just my ideas, these are my policies, don't focus so much on my youth. You mentioned earlier the two congressional Gen Z candidates, and one seems to be emblematic of the left side of the Democratic Party, and the other seems to be on the right, the more conservative side of the Republican Party. But how much does... Gen Z fall under that two-party paradigm? In other words, if you're a liberal Gen Zer, are you automatically going to go Democrat? So the thing about Gen Z is that they don't have the same loyalty to parties as past generations. They're more likely to want to register as independent or call themselves liberals or conservatives instead of Democrats or Republicans. At the same time, there's definitely a clear trend in how they voted. You look back at 2020 and 65% of Gen Z voters picked Biden over Trump. There's also a sense that Gen Z voters care more about specific issues and how parties are going to address them. Madeline Ryan Smith, she talked about how Gen Z voters really care about housing costs because they're not old enough or established enough to be homeowners the same way that older generations are. We care about certain things and other things that involve politics kind of goes over our heads. So, you know, we care about things like minimum wage and affordable housing and cannabis legalization, for example. But we don't care as much about, you know, the housing market because none of us own houses or, you know, how the economy is affecting our taxes or this, that and the other. And Elliot Engin talked about how some on the right are more likely to want to identify as conservative or libertarian. They were turned off by the Republican label during the Trump era, but still care about those core conservative values. I mean, at the core tenet of conservatism is believing that the individual is um, is capable of doing great things and that politicians shouldn't always be having to tell that individual how to live their life. And he's tried to, at least in his campaign, portray conservatism as just being about the policies versus what the national conversation has been about. So I think that uh, being a young conservative, uh, I tend to refrain away from the term Republican because that can come with bad connotations. We have to start showing that we are compassionate, that our policies really just allow people to live their lives 
and strive to be whoever they want to be. So that's my job uh, to go and prove that to voters, that we do have an optimistic outlook on the future of America. After the break, the issues that are top of mind for Generation Z. Arit, so what's bringing Gen Z out to the midterms? Gen Z voters in polls really show that they care about a lot of these like social justice issues like same-sex marriage, racial equality, LGBTQ rights. Um, they care a lot about climate change and what the government is doing to prevent it. They care about gun control. It's issues such as disabled rights, the rights of people of color, rights of LGBT people um, that is drawing me to voting. I live in the L.A. County. Another one would be homelessness because it is rising and it's going to get to a point where it's going to become way too hard to manage, as we've seen in the last couple of years. And then specifically, as we head into this election, a lot of the issues that young voters care about are the issues that other voters care about. They care about inflation, the cost of goods. They care about just the sense that the economy is not working for them the way they'd like it to. So the Harvard Institute of Politics does a regular poll of young voters. And in their spring 2022 poll, they found that 36% of young voters feel that being involved in politics doesn't have any tangible results for them. 42% said that they believe that voting doesn't make a difference. And more than half said that politics today are no longer able to meet the challenges that the country is facing. And 85% of young Americans said that they favor some action on student loan debt. But even that's not universal. Only 38% said they favor total debt cancellation. And I got a chance to speak with Judith Brown Dennis, who is the executive director of the Advancement Project, which is a nonprofit that works on racial justice issues. And she said that the shift isn't surprising. The past few times that we've done these polls, racial discrimination and structural racism like ranks like number one. But number one was inflation. And so that's not surprising. We, we're talking about young people, some of whom are adulting right now. And the things that they keyed in on inflation were like just the cost of daily goods and necessities and the cost of housing. Racism and discrimination were number two. They did their own survey of Gen Z voters and found that, you know, among people of color, that systemic and structural racism used to be a top issue. But now that's been bumped down to number two, again, to being replaced with concerns about inflation. You mentioned earlier that Gen Z voters supported Biden more than other generations. But how do they feel about his accomplishments so far? I think the, the Gen Z vote in 2020 for Biden was more of an anti-Trump vote than a pro-Biden vote. Gallup found that Biden has a 39 percent approval rating with young voters. And, you know, digging into that a little bit deeper, the Harvard poll found that there's a sense that the Biden administration hasn't been effective, hasn't been following through with some of their campaign promises and maybe doesn't share their values. I, uh, you know, hope for the best, but... At the same time, I'm not delusional. Over the years, I've seen kind of the flakiness of certain Democratic politicians. 
as you know, compared to certain Republican politicians who are not as much flaky as much as like comically evil. But um, the Biden administration is, of course, you know, a disappointment, but I expected nothing less. And I think that's why we've seen in the last few months, like the Biden administration, you know, release their plan on student debt relief. Just try to like really emphasize the accomplishments that they've had on infrastructure, on the Inflation Reduction Act to try to just get this message across, not just to Gen Z, but to all generations that they are actually fulfilling their campaign promises and that if you do vote for Democrats, you will get something in return. There are so many issues, obviously, for the midterms, but one of the biggest ones from this past summer was overturning a Roe versus Wade. How is that influencing Gen Z voters? That's definitely a top issue, especially for a young woman. The right to an abortion as a woman of color, I feel like that's very important to me. Gen Z, one, is not as religious as past generations, and they actually really support the right to abortion access. Three out of four Gen Z voters support abortion rights broadly, and only three in 10 say that they believe abortion is morally wrong. I think that this is like a very visceral issue for especially a lot of people of reproductive age who are seeing themselves losing the rights that past generations have had to abortion access. I mean, we're seeing even the risk of losing access to contraceptive care or to plan B. And so we've seen a lot of data that suggests that young women are registering at higher rates, especially in swing states. I mean, we saw in Kansas with the ballot proposal that would have allowed more abortion restrictions in the state. Like that was soundly defeated and like young woman voters were a big part of that. More after the break. Ari, you mentioned earlier an interesting stat to me that since the last election, there's 8 million new voters because they're old enough to vote from Gen Z. So how much outreach are these political parties doing to get them? I think this is about reaching voters where they are. And a lot of Gen Z voters are on TikTok. A big chunk of them say that they also get their news mainly from the app. And a lot of candidates are trying to reach them on the app. There are Senate candidates like Tim Ryan, a Democrat in Ohio, or Dr. Oz, who's running as a Republican in Pennsylvania. And we have Representative Katie Porter in California. All of them are hopping onto TikTok trends to sort of get people to go vote early, to remind them to request their ballots, and to go vote on November 8th. Get it, loser. We're going voting. And the major leaders in the Democratic Party are also making a big outreach push to young voters on TikTok. For example, Obama has appeared in a couple of viral TikTok videos encouraging people to go out and vote, including one with Under the Desk News. What are you, what are you doing with Under My Desk? Well, Under the Desk is kind of my thing. I mean... Yeah, but here's the thing. You can stay for now, but when it comes time to voting, you're going to have to get up because you've got climate change legislation on the ballot. You've got gun safety and... If we can elect more pro-choice members of Congress, we can reinstitute Roe versus Wade as the law of the land. So, And then there's Biden, who recently did a TikTok with his Gen Z granddaughter, Natalie Biden, when she went to vote for the first time. Hey, I'm Natalie Biden, and I just turned 18, and I'm going to vote for the first time with my pop. I'm so excited for her. This is the first time, the first vote. God love her. 
So the candidates that you mentioned earlier, Maxwell Frost and Caroline Levitt, what's their footprint on any of social media? And do they break it down depending on what the social media is? Because I'm an old man, so I do have cable news and I just see nothing but political ads on TV, but I don't use TikTok, so I want to know what's going on in TikTok. You know, it's funny, like those particular candidates, uh, Maxwell Frost has a TikTok, but he hasn't really invested in it that much. And Caroline Lovett doesn't have one. But even though they're not on it, their names and as hashtags are still trending on there. I mean, because for Gen Z, that is like the news source. Obviously, Gen Z is not on Facebook. Twitter is not the main source of news. Newspapers, TV, I mean, TikTok for about like three quarters of Gen Z voters, that is the main news source. Finally, Ari. Okay, so you have all these new voters and they're running for office and the parties know that if you could get that vote, that's going to be great for them. But survey after survey over generations show, again, young people vote at lower number than older people. And there's less of a turnout in midterm elections than in general elections. So how important can getting that Gen Z vote be for those parties? But also, how do you get those young people to come out to vote? You know, especially now in this midterm where there are so many races that are going to be determined by 10,000, 30,000, 50,000 votes. If you have 8 million new voters across the country, like you have to try to reach out to them. But I think the challenge that both parties face is, you know, young voters are less engaged in especially midterm elections, especially on the Democratic side. There's been such a big focus on who's going to be president and national politics, and there's less focus on determining Congress in the off years, and even less focus on who is in control of the state legislature, who's the governor in your state, who is on the city council where you live. But, you know, talking to Judith Brown, Deanna, she said that the key issue is that you have to make young voters feel like their vote matters and their vote will lead to tangible results. Gen Z voters really are not in tune with midterms, right? Everybody focuses so much on the presidential elections so that they really didn't kind of understand that there were midterm elections for many of them, or they didn't have the information to participate. So that's really important, right? That we tend to focus on presidential elections, but we know how much is at stake in the midterms. And so For young voters of color, they're motivated when they know that they have the power to make change. Because if people don't think that their vote matters, they're not going to take those extra steps to register. They're not going to take those extra steps to request their ballots. I think back to Madeline Ryan Smith. One thing she said is that there is a big university in her otherwise rural district. And one of the challenges she's facing is that a lot of the young voters there, they are registered back home, like wherever they grew up or at their parents' house. And if those voters instead would request the ballots there in her district where they live, that could make a big difference in her race. So we've been doing a lot of work this year getting college students registered where they currently live and where they go to school because those local elections for them matter. So it's about engaging voters helping them understand what are the stakes in their election and also just like making it clear that the process to getting registered to voting is not maybe as complex as they think, especially for these first-time voters. Ari, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for having me.
And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. David Toledo, Denise Guerra, and Madeline Amato were the jefes on this episode, and Mario Diaz mixed and mastered it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lend, Denise Guerra, Kasha Persali, and David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Roberto Reyes and Nicholas Perez. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba El Orbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Eaton. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Wednesday with all the news in this month. And don't forget to vote whether you're Gen Z, Gen X, Millennial, Greatest Generation, or my generation, the shaking your fist at the cloud generation. Gracias. <laughs>